This episode is a talk taken from Love Inbound 2019. If you want to register for Love Inbound 2020, head to loveinboundevent.com. So, search engines are the cornerstone of inbound marketing. Uh, when I was preparing for this talk, um, I had a look through our client accounts, and on average, 70% of the traffic leads and revenue our clients get all come from search engines. So it's really, really is essential to everything we're doing and everything we're talking about with inbound. Uh, and I can't overstate that enough um, from the, the sort of high volume keywords we try to rank for that immediately drive leads to the blogs we want to rank for that drive the brand awareness for our companies. It really is essential, and that's why I wanted to talk about SEO today. Um, our expectations of talks like this is people are going to come with um, things Google are doing that's changing the industry and how we're going to all have to adapt or die or new sort of tips and tricks and hacks we're going to have to implement. And that really is a symptom of the SEO industry is we're always looking for more shiny new things to work on and more tips and tricks and hacks to shortcut our success. And when I'd look at um, some of the popular SEO news sites again in preparation for this, the top stories were similar. It's like myths about whether click-through rates do or don't impact search rankings and how voice search is going to change everything for us and the potential of that. And it's funny how days like this come together and there's some underlying themes, and it kind of goes back to what Christian was saying about pick and focus. Um, what I'd come to talk about today is, uh, for my mantra really, is for SEO success, it's not the amount of things we do or trying to do more things, but it's focused on what really matters that works. And that's what I want to talk about today, but how do we de- define what matters? How do we uh, figure out the things that's going to have the impact on SEO. And I've got three golden rules I live by that I'd like to share with you guys today about how I do it. And the first one is don't listen to your boss. Um, I'm aware there's people in the room who I'm your boss. This bit doesn't apply to you. You don't have to listen to that at all. Um, <clears throat> but have you ever had this email off your boss that says he's a link to a blog and um, this is something we should be doing or why haven't we done this yet? Oh, this looks cool. We've all had those emails and Early in my career as a digital marketer, I had a boss who would send me five or six of these a day. Try this, try that, try this. And it's fair to say I went away and tried to do those things. And whether it was the tactics themselves or what Christian was saying about spreading yourself too thin, it's fair to say the vast majority of those things didn't work. And I realized at that point that I was coming into the monthly meetings and my boss was dragging me over the coals about why they hadn't worked. And I'm thinking to myself, I've just tried to be a good employee here. I've done what you told me to do. I've investigated all these tips and tricks and trends and hacks that you keep sending me. Um, and that was a really big moment of realization for me that if I'm going to come in a room and present my results, I want the things that I'm doing to be my ideas and what I believe is going to work. Um, so I went on a journey, as we all do, on Google to try and find out the answers to what I thought would work on Google. And I found a, a ranking factors study by a company called Moz. So Moz is a company you may be aware of. They're, they're an SEO software company and they provide you with tools to do better, better, better SEO. And um, I really trusted that brand already. They did loads of great content. They did videos every week called Whiteboard Fridays that I sat down and watched. And they always resonated with me because the presenter, Rand, was a, a good guy and I understood his, his way of thinking. So when I came across this study, it really resonated with me. So I got this data, and Moz kindly let you download it and do what you want with it. So I'd got this study, and what it was trying to show is what are the factors which uh, correlate high rankings, uh, and what's the same things between all the sites that are doing really well, and what's the same things between all the sites that aren't doing so well, and what are the correlating factors. So I downloaded this data set that Moz provided, and I could take that into Google, and I could make sheets like this about these are the, the impact things. I could put scores on them and labels on them, and I could split it by 
on-page factors and off-page factors. And when I'd done this for a day or two, I came up with a list of top 10 ranking factors, and these are the, the ones that I live by, and when we go further into the presentation, I'll talk about what they are. Um, but the point of this is, I went away and did this, and I focused on these 10 things, purely just these 10 things, for six months. Uh, and the traffic that we got in that time and the results we got in that time was absolutely really good growth. I was going to use a different word there, but I couldn't get out. Um, we got really good growth during that time, and it's kind of what kick-started my SEO career. Um, and more importantly, uh, we started ranking for those really hard-to-rank-for single keywords with loads of volume for them. Our boss really wanted to rank for. He wanted to tell his mates he ranked number one for these keywords. And when I started to achieve that, those emails about try this and try that, they, they stopped coming, which was nice because he started to trust me. Which leads me on to rule number two, don't copy influencers. Um, so one of the amazing things about the SEO industry is it's, it's, it's really transparent. There's no lack of people willing to share their data on what's worked for them or letting you look at their analytics and showing these are things we tried and it, it worked and it didn't work. And again, it's one of the things that drew me to SEO as a career was that community. Um, and there's a real great uh, benefit from that. But there's also some pitfalls to it because we often follow people on social media and come to talks like this, listen to people's advice and go and try and implement it. But we often forget that their context is actually very different to ours. And if you go and look for SEO influencers, again, like I did in preparation for this, uh, you'll get loads of list, uh, lists and it'll probably be these sorts of guys here on screen that will come up with. And, you might think these are great people to listen to and to get SEO advice from, um, but are they really? Um, if you look, what do all these people have in common? Well, they all work on or they work for really big enterprise websites. You've got Matt Barbie from HubSpot on there. You've got guys like Will Reynolds, who runs an agency working with ASOS and LinkedIn. And there's big brands on there we all know, and they're huge websites. And that's really important to remember that context because these guys can afford to work on marginal gains tactics. Um, if you think, if Matt from HubSpot comes up and he says, I've got this great idea, it's going to take 200 hours of work, but I believe we can get a 0.5% increase in our traffic, the guys at HubSpot would say, yeah, go for it. And I'm sure Matt and his team would do a great job. And because HubSpot get 34 million visitors a month to their website, that 0.5% to them is 170,000 people. It's well worth that 200 hours they've invested to get that. Whereas if our team said, hey, Matt, that looked like a really exciting project. Why don't we do it? And our team went away and put 200 hours into it and got us a 0.5% increase. Well, we get 10,000 visitors a month to our website. That's 50 people. And we often forget that those numbers don't add up when you start comparing what enterprise priorities are and what SME's priorities are. That wouldn't be a good project for us to work on. So instead of looking to the guys like this, the the rule I live by is the Pareto principle, and this goes for most things in life and in business. There's often the 20% you can put into things to get the 80% out of the other end. And in SEO, um, SEO for SMEs and a medium-sized website, that's often very true. So my rule number three is to focus on that 20%. Um, and I've, um, through my experience, found luckily that that 20% boils down to just three things, which I'll walk through with you. The first one is basic on-page optimization, and a lot of people look at basic on-page optimization as un uh, unfashionable or something that's been around for a decade, so is it relevant? Well, actually, a lot of it is relevant, and the good thing about basic on-page optimization is it's something that's really quick to do, and it's something that has huge results. And referring back to those top 10 factors I spoke about earlier, these are the 10 factors I got out of that study. Actually, six out of 10 of those are all related to really basic on-page optimization. 
And I'll talk you through a, through a few of those. Um, so having keywords in your title tag and having keywords on the page themselves, they're probably the oldest SEO tactics in the book. But there's still the, the biggest signals to Google and other search engines about what this page is about and what we should start to index it for and start to rank it for. Um, having relevant, unique, and in-depth content. It's Google's end game to give customers the best possible experiences. Um, they want people to keep coming back to Google search because they're finding good stuff. So it makes sense that they're serving up the most relevant content to what the user's searching for. It makes sense that they're trying to show people unique content that isn't stolen or scraped from somewhere else. And in-depth content as well, because they want people to come to a website from their search engine and satisfy their query. They want to say, I searched that keyword, I clicked that page, and I got my answer. If you had a really shallow answer or didn't answer the question or answered half the question, what Google would notice is you going back to the search results and trying again, either try and change in your question or clicking on another result. So it makes sense that they reward people who provide that good content and that good user experience with more visibility in search engines, and the people who don't provide that in-depth content with less visibility in search engines. And the last one is mobile friendliness. We all know how much we use our mobiles and how much of that is spent on search engines. Um, and all of these things, really, have on, the on, on the basic on-page optimization, what I'm saying is they're all things that we all know and we, we know we should be doing, but truly, how much time and effort do we put into making these things happen? Um, there's tools like um, Moz and things which will tell you your page grades, so you can go on Moz and you can put in the URL, you can put in a keyword. It'll literally give you a grade of F to A in terms of how well you've done with this basic on-page optimization. And I've never took on a client or looked at a website where all their key pages have an A. And why is that if it's so easy to do and it's so important? The second factor is all around site authority. So site authority is the strength of the website in the eyes of a search engine. Many people use different metrics to measure it. Again, I use Moz's domain authority tool. It gives you a score of 0 to 100, 0 being the least authoritative, 100 being the highest authoritative. And Again, if I go back to my list of 10 factors, the other four factors in that list are actually made up of site authority factors. So it's things like page authority. So your site has an overall authority. But depending on the way you structure your website hierarchy, how many clicks down it is, your individual pages also have an authority as well. But more importantly, the number of links and the quality of links pointing to that website impact your authority. If you're doing that in a way which isn't spammy or buying links are unnatural because, again, that's a big uh, indicator to search engines that you aren't playing fair. And to illustrate this point, I looked at a, um, a search query we're probably all familiar with, which is marked an automation software. Apologies to HubSpot. I may use some uh, names in here which might be swear words to you guys. But um, when you Google Martin automation software and you look at the software companies which appear for those searches, you'll see HubSpot rank number one for it. Marketo ranked number two for it, and Acton ranked number three for it. But why does HubSpot outrank these two people? Well, it comes back to these things I was talking about before. So if we look at Acton, they've got a domain authority of 55. In most industries, a domain authority of 59, 55 is exceptional. But unfortunately for Acton, they're in a market where Marketo have a domain authority of 71. Again, fantastic domain authority. But super unfortunate for both these guys that they're in the same market as HubSpot, who have a 91 domain authority. And a 91 domain authority is something most companies will never, ever achieve. And the numbers here don't really matter. What's important is you map this out against your competitors and see where, how far in front or behind you are. Because that's the exact order of the rankings on that page. The people with the highest authority often have the highest rankings. So 
why do they have higher authority than these guys? It comes back to those link signals that I mentioned on, on the list. So act on, they've got 5,000 links pointing to their website. And again, I'm sat here thinking, I'd love to have 5,000 links pointing to my website. That would be fantastic, and I'm sure most people are as well. But they're in a game where Marketo has got four times more than that. They've got 22,000 links. And again, super unfortunately for both of those guys, they compete against Subspot, who have a whopping 152,000 links. And what this illustrates is links directly impact the domain authority, which directly impacts where you rank in search engines. So like it all over, links are a crucial part of SEO, and they will be for a long time in the future. So make sure that we spend the time sorting out this stuff that a lot of people talk about, but don't actually spend the time actioning and earning those links. And the last one is site speed. So, so far today, I've talked a lot about correlation uh, studies with Moz and my own personal experiences. It's important you have a look yourselves at what's going on in search engines and try and draw your own conclusions. And this is one where I've done this. I think site speed is really important to the way sites are ranked. And you can take studies and you can interpret the data your own way, but sometimes you just need to look at the data yourself and draw your own conclusions. So what I wanted to prove to you by doing your own research isn't always a big, hard thing. So in preparation for this, I've um, I did a small study here. It took less than two hours, and I used two free tools to do it. Uh, and what I wanted to try and prove is the sites that have higher load speeds are those sites which get the higher traffic. So everyone who registered to come here today, I took all your websites and I put them through. At, uh, I'm not going to show you everyone's websites. Don't worry about that. Uh, I did, in my first version, I did do that. Um, so I took all your websites, I put them through Pingdom, and I put them in a spreadsheet of how long your sites take to load. And that was my first part. So of all the people here today, the slowest loading website Sorry, I put a snail next to your website. Um, loads at 4.1 seconds. Um, at 14.1 seconds, sorry. Um, the group of us, as an average, um, we load at 2.8 seconds. Interesting side note here. Really hard to find like a medium speed animal. So um, I ended up going with a horse. There's, like, there's not a lot of icons out there for that. Um, but the fastest website here loaded in uh, 0.8 seconds. Um, so that's a company called Weavable who are here today. Could you put your hands up, guys? Guys at the back, big clap to those guys. And um, we've got a couple of free t-shirts for you guys as well. So really well done. Um, that's a really fast loading website, so you should be proud of that, guys. Um, while we're in a celebratory mood, it's quite interesting that as a group, with all of our websites on average load in 2.8 seconds, we're actually well ahead of the curve here as a, as a group. Um, Google's own data shows that 98% of websites actually still load in uh, three seconds or over. So as a group, we should be quite proud of that, that we're ahead of that curve. So I've got this data set where we've got all of our websites in it, and some load really fast and some load quite slowly. And then I did the second data set, which is putting you guys through Traffic Ranker. So I took all your websites to find out who gets the most and least traffic. Um, and again, a really good data set for me because I've got um, some of the guys speaking today like HubSpot and Vidyard and AdRoll who get an absolute ton of traffic, so that was really good at that end. And I've got some people who are quite new on their inbound journey here today as well, so I've got a really varied data set, so I should definitely be able to put those two together and find some correlation. And interestingly, when I did this, the correlation was really obvious. Um, in fact, when I boiled it down to the top six websites, so the six websites among us all here who get the most traffic, those websites loaded in just 1.5 seconds. That's twice as quick as the average of the rest of the group, 
but more importantly, it's three times faster than those websites with the lowest amount of traffic. So there's a real correlation here between the two things. And this is a good example where we know something's really, really important. We all probably appreciate that site speed's important because coming back to, um, coming back to what Google wants, they want good user experiences for people who go through their search engines. And we all know that if you click on a website and it takes an age to load, you've clicked back and gone on somebody else by the time it's even loaded. Um, so it makes sense that Google prioritize these people with the good experiences and deprioritize people with the bad experiences. So again, we know this, but probably most companies I speak to don't spend enough time investing in it. And that brings me back to the, to the main point, really, that for SEO success, we don't need to do more things. We just need to focus um, on what really matters. And um, as a closing point, I've got a bit of a challenge for you all. Um, what I want to say is these things actually don't take that much time and effort to do as a whole. Uh, so basic on-page optimization. You should be able to take all the key pages of your website, run it through Moz or SME Rush or whatever you choose to use as your SEO tool, and make sure they get an A grade or an equivalent. That's a job you can do in a week or so and really have a big impact on the, the amount of traffic you get into your site. You can then take site speed. It's a little bit of a longer job, but your, your target here is to get into that one to two second range that those companies that were high performing we discovered before are getting. And that you could do that in the next month, the next month or two, you could get your site in that range. And then finally, your site authority. If you can map out the difference between yourselves and your competitor and set it as your target to get above them in authority, um, again, you're going to get the benefits from that. And depending on where you are in your inbound journey, you could be quite far behind or not too far behind them. And that, you might, that might take three months, six months. It might take to the end of the year to influence that authority. But I'd be very confident that if you did those three things, you'd absolutely smash your SEO goals and you can celebrate the success. That's actually the beer fridge in our office for who's coming back to the party afterwards. I took that last night. Um, so we are ready to go. Um, and that's my talk. Um, so I want to thank you all for listening to that. And if anyone's got any questions, happy to answer. Any questions for Ricky? How do you determine site speed? Because we, we get people say, oh, that page took ages to load. And when you test it, it's looks okay, and it depends what devices they're on. So you yeah. get that disparity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, most um, site checkers will actually, um, so Pingdom, the one I used, is quite a, bit, a straightforward one. That'll just give you a score, and it'll give you all the factors that impact your score. But uh, there are some more advanced ones. Even Google's own one, that will show you your site score difference over different devices. And you, ca you can actually have a very big disparity between how fast your website loads on mobile and how fast it loads on desktop. You can have a really fast loading desktop site that doesn't necessarily load really quickly on mobile. If you look at those reports that split it by device type and look at the factors which are influencing why it's lo loading slowly on those device types, you can set about fixing those. Um, I think that was your question. I hope that answered it. Hi. Just Hi. had a quick question about, uh, you touched on backlinks. Okay. And do you have any advice on just small, simple things that everyone in this room can do to build more backlinks? Yeah, so there's a few things. I mean, luckily when I was chatting to Matt at HubSpot, they're in the enviable position now where HubSpot's so well known that they just get links every day. And I, I really hate him for that when I was speaking to him because we have to work so hard to get them. So there's a couple of things um, 
that we found work. So HubSpot has this um, methodology of pillar pages. So these are big pages that are like the focal point of your particular topic that answer everything about that topic. So they've got pages on marketing automation software and inbound marketing and growth-driven design. A lot of people, when they're referencing things on things like forums and chats and things like that, they'll, oft they'll often reference those pages which give the big overview of what a topic is. So it's not a quick fix because those pages take a, a hell of a lot of time to build out. But if you can build out those, that's the way to start getting links up the way HubSpot do, which is naturally attracting them without you needing to go out and do outreach. But that said, we, we still do outreach. We still um, draw up a target list um, of sites that we want links from. So these are sites with domain authority higher than ours, with relevancy to our industry. And we'll go out and manually email them and speak to them and ring them and say, like, we want to give you stuff. Um, we never ask for a link. We just want to give you content or videos or whatever it is. And 80% or so will attribute you back the link. So I guess if you can do it both ways, if you can build those assets that are going to naturally attract links while doing the legwork and asking for links or um, going out and starting those conversations and actually pipelining links as well. If you do both, it should work. But it's unfortunately, it's the hardest part of SEO by a long way. It's, it's the real long game of SEO. And it is, it's like sales. You've got to pipeline it and build them in and make relationships, human connections, as we heard today. And, that's how we end up getting a lot of links for our clients and ourselves. Oops. Hello. Hello. Great presentation. Thank you. Um, interested to know what you think is coming next, I think, because 5G will kind of mean that uh, site speed not so much of an issue because of the bandwidth. Yeah. You've got links. It's much harder to get anyone to link to. You've got technical SEO, really important. Yeah. Where, where's the thing that we should be looking at on the 24-month horizon rather than just going on here? No, it's a great question. I think, I think site speed, even though our connections will get faster, I, I see that getting more important because as a society, we're getting less and less patient, if anything. And just because it loads quicker, because our connection's better, it, there's still the disparity in people's website speeds, Google are noticing. And, they're pushing big things like AMP and giving those the signal and the mobile ranking. So I do still see site speed's got a long way to go, and I think they'll keep pushing that. I think some of the things to look out for is um, Google's ability to understand whether a user's been satisfied with a search or not. And there's a lot of debate about this in the SEO world, but I'm 100% confident that Google looks at data about people pogo sticking off sites and going and looking to see if they satisfied their query or not. I think the big win for SEO and the way the SEO industry is moving is just focused on user experience. So it's creating that content that loads quickly, that uh, looks right on all displays um, and answers everybody's questions and helps the user move down their journey. I think as an industry, SEO will move to a user experience place. might not be in the next 24 months. Um, but the other counter-argument to that is that top 10 list of factors has been the same for about five years. And all of those are going to be equally as important in the next five years as well. We'll just have these new issues to deal with. But I'd always prioritize getting these basics right before I start looking at more user experience-based things. It depends how mature your website is and how many of those things you've already nailed. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Um, so I was listening to what you were saying about um, Pillar pages, and I know at Green Earth Pill, we've got a massive, massive push at the moment with content in terms of 
putting out loads of pillar pages and um, different cluster topics which are linking to it, which is yeah. all great for backlinks. But I wondered if you had any tips on um, in terms of reaching out to people because just last week, um, well, quite quite a lot, quite often, but last week, for example, um, a news article was um, published from a news source and it mentioned our brand. So then I reached out to them by email yeah. um, and kind of put it in a way where I wanted to make out like, look, it would really help us out. But I didn't quite know how to put it across, whether it, it was sort of, I don't know, um, a bit amateurish to be emailing, asking, please, can you link to our site? Yeah, I sure. I thought it felt a bit desperate, and I didn't end up getting a response. I tried yeah, to put sure. it as professionally as possible, but I just, I just wondered if it is worth investing the time or if it's completely normal for people to not respond about asking for backlinks because it's pretty tough. Yeah, no, it's, it's really normal. Um, right. You've got to, like everything in sales and things, you've got to outreach to X amount of people to move them to the next stage, to move to the next stage. You've got to build that pipeline. What I'd say about the way... So if it's something PR related, um, the chances of you getting the link after the thing's published are pretty yeah. much zero. No one's interested in sure. historically editing their story. Yeah. So you need to make sure that you position the story in such a way to the journalist that they should include a link to you. If you have to retrospectively do it like what you've just mentioned, the, the way I've seen get a better response, and it's still not an amazing response, is instead of saying, look, um, could, you've mentioned us, could you give us a link to our site? It's that... I feel the story would have been better if you linked to this piece, which will carry and give value to the reader. So yeah. they've read about this, and if they want to read more about that, or they want to download this case study about that, or they want to do this, this is the next stage of that reader's journey. So it's sort of like pitching it in a way that yeah. we're actually adding value to your, your readers exactly. rather than to us. Yeah. It, in this case, it was retrospectively because... Um, we actually use Moz as well, and it, we got a ping through on Moz saying this has just been published and oh, it perfect. mentions your brand. Yeah. But if you're saying it's more difficult to get them, you know, if, it it's, hard. if it's already been published, then yeah. it makes sense. If you, if you can add real value to the users, that's the way to go, for sure. And never use the word link in outreach. Like, as soon as you've said that word, they're just going to delete your email because ah, okay. it puts them off a little bit. But you've got to say, like, I've got this... You've published that. This is the next good step for the user. Maybe you'll think about including it. But if you ever say the word link on outreach, it just goes in the spam box half the time, or they just hit delete. Thank you. No worries. Any more? Hi, what's your name and uh, where are you from? Um, David from an agency down in Lincoln, Digital Media Edge. Um, Hi, quick question on pillar pages again. Um, because we're using HubSpots, but not the HubSpot CMS in its full package, yeah. we've just got landing pages and the blogs. Um, have you got a suggested best practice for where to place your landing page? So if we were not landing page, the pillar page. Um, so if our blogs, which are acting as the cluster content, then linking back to that pillar page, are we losing domain authority by putting them on the blog subdomain? Or uh, Yeah, no, it's it's an often debated one, that, to be fair. Um, I realized I dropped the pillar page bomb, and people have picked up on that, because it's a thing we all talk about. For everyone who doesn't know what we're referring to, a pillar page is a central piece of content. So if you wanted to, um, we wanted to rank number one for the word marketing agency, we'd create a piece of content that answers everybody's questions about marketing agencies, how much do marketing agencies cost, how would you hire them, what are the questions you should ask before hiring a marketing agency. And you'd build out this piece of content 
And then as you suggested, you'd link any pieces of content from blogs and such back to that central piece of content and you form yourself a pillar of content so you can naturally rank better for that topic. Um, in answer to your question, I'd always place my pillar pages on the root domain. Um, I think there's enough SEO studies around now that show subdomains are uh, less than optimal from an SEO perspective. I sympathize with your situation of having your blog on a subdomain and your website on the main domain. What I would personally do in that situation is put the pillar page on WordPress, if that's what you use, as a um, whatever your domain is, forward slash pillar page name, and then have your blogs still link to that page from their own subdomains. It's, it's not 100% ideal, but you're not, you're not losing out too much if you do that, because you've got your pillar page with all of its authority on your root domain, and then your subdomains will point into that. You'll still get 90-odd percent of the benefit doing it that way, I, I feel. Thank you, Ricky. I was going to move Last on, but one, we can <laughs> squeeze one more in. Hey, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Claire. I'm from a company called Blue Logic in Leeds, and we're a managed IT support company. Uh, my question is, you mentioned about voice recognition. What impact is that going to have? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, so what I was referring to there is um, a lot of these articles and stuff, they do focus on these future things, what's on the horizon. And one of the things on the horizon for us all is voice search. So people speaking to their Alexas or their Google Homes and asking questions and being served the result. I know I've got five Google Homes in my house now. I use them all the time. Um, so I'm doing this all the time. It, it's a bit of a tricky one. You have got to be aware. It's a bit like getting in rich snippets and stuff. It's, you can optimize for it, um, but it's so cut and dry with voice search because it's going to give you one answer. It's going to say, like, Google doesn't read out the top 10 list like it displays on the screen. You've got to get that number one spot or be in the snippet on the number one page to get into it. So it is going to have an impact, but it's going to be more of, like, in my opinion, a branding impact. So someone's going to, when you do a voice search, it'll read out an answer and it'll say the brand that's from. It doesn't naturally lead the user to explore or click or go and do more. The questions you're asking are quite matter-of-fact questions you can get in a sentence or a few bullet points or something like that. So uh, for B2B IT services, we're probably a long way from voice search having too much of an impact in you. But if you can start to rank really well for your content, when people do come to searching for things like that in voice search, you'll be there and you'll be ready. Um, but a lot of things you need to be doing there to be ready is doing good content and talking in a natural language and all these things, it's good for marketing anyway. Mm -hmm.